following the reading plan with us. And I wanted to just button up some thoughts here this morning from, from Matthew 2. And so why don't you stand with me. Last week we looked at the, vid, the visit of the, the Magi, the, 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 uh, we call them the wise men or the kings or, or whatever, that came to visit Jesus there in, in Bethlehem, probably months or a, a year or so after his birth. Well, now we have a little bit more of the story as we start in, in uh, verse 13. It said, when they had gone, talking about the, the, the Magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for uh, the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed there until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Remember, numerous times, 130 times, uh, Matthew refers back to Old Testament prophecies, and we have more of those right here. So, uh, again, uh, God says, out of Egypt I called my son. That's a quote from the book of Hosea. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity that were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for, for those who are trying to kill the child's life are trying to take the child's life, are dead. So he got up, took the child and with his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Father, speak to us this morning. There are things that we need to understand today from your word. And so, Father, I pray that your word would speak to us clearly and boldly about the truth that you have for us here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. When I was in both in college and in seminary, um, we had chapel services every day. And, and so you were required to go to chapel, but you could miss a number of chapel services. And, and, uh, and so typically most of the student body would, would be in chapel, but you could tell that, that a number of folks were missing. And especially when I got to seminary, when, when guys were working jobs and raising families and, and, uh, uh there was, you know, the, the chapel would be, it was about this size. And so we had, Two or three hundred guys in the school, and and so a, a number of guys would come to chapel. But you could tell that a lot of guys were missing. There were always a day, both when I was in college and in seminary, when nobody missed chapel, when the chapel would be packed, when it would be hard to find a seat because both students and spouses and everybody, faculty, staff, everybody would jam into the chapels for those days. 
And those were the days when the speaker, whoever he may be, would come and talk about following the Lord's will, hearing God's voice, knowing the direction of God, how we understand God's leading in our lives. And so no matter who the speaker was, Gary Friesen was a big name speaker back in the 80s who had written a book called Decision Making and the Will of God. And we were young men and women who were headed toward ministry work and we wanted to understand how to follow the Lord's will. And so everybody came in and we listened to those principles and somebody else would come and and all these different folks talking about how to hear. And we were so longing to know, give us the secrets. What we find is that there's probably not a secret formula in the scriptures for hearing the will and the voice of God. But we have lots of examples of righteous people, God Christ centered people who followed, had God communicated with and followed his will completely. And as we see their lives, we begin to glean from those lives some of the principles in hearing and following and, and knowing God's voice in our lives. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for just a few minutes here at the end of Matthew chapter 2. And as we prepare for this time of communion, what it means to follow God. And what it means to know we're making choices that are pleasing and right. And, and we're hearing and listening and obeying and doing much like what, what Joseph did in following the the will and the voice of God. So I've got just really four encouragements for you this morning as we talk about what it means to follow God. And the first thing we see here is that following God means accepting a challenging path. Following God means accepting a challenging path. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, 15, again, I hope you have a a copy of the scriptures open in front of you because we're going to read these right out of the Bible there. If you need one of those pewback Bibles, I'm reading from those this morning so I could give you the page numbers as we go. And it's on page 682. In page 682, Matthew chapter 2, it says in verse 13, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child, his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Now, was this an easy thing? Absolutely not. Now, we know that God is communicating with Joseph through a dream. We'll talk in just a few minutes about how God communicates with us now. And so don't get hung up on that just yet and saying, why am I not having these kind of dreams? Well, there are reasons why, why God communicates to us a little, maybe a little differently today. But essentially, God is telling Joseph, you've got to do something that's tough. Joseph has already led his family through some difficult things. He's already led his family and almost a, his wife expecting a child any day on a hundred mile journey from, from, uh, uh, from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem for the birth of, of Jesus as he has to come there for this census. We've already talked about that. As challenging as that would be. Now this God comes to, to, to Joseph and says, Joseph, you've got to get out of town because they're going to try to kill the child. By the way, this is the introduction of a theme through the book of Matthew. We see throughout the book of Matthew, Satan's evil plots to kill Jesus. And Matthew's very clear about this, how, 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 uh, how, how often Satan in, in evil schemes tries to take the life of, the, of Christ, both as a child and 
and as an adult. And God continues to protect his son. Well, here he comes to Joseph in the stream. and He says, you've got to get out of town. By the way, this is not just 100 miles back to Galilee. No, going to Egypt was a two and a half week long journey. Two and a half weeks through the Sinai Peninsula, through the desert, through places where many people were attacked and robbed and killed. It was a difficult journey. It was a difficult path. But that's what God told Joseph to do. And so that's what he did. There seems to be an idea out there today that following God makes our lives easier. Following God makes our lives. It's a path of least resistance. It's a path of it's, it's a path of of bliss and butterflies and and rainbows and and all your problems go away. Look around the room. Those who have walked with the Lord for many, many years can tell us that that's not the case. No, choosing to follow God can be a difficult path. It's a path of of going against the flow, going against the grain and what the world says we ought to be doing. It's a path of, of a lack of popularity, and it's a path that often can be a path of rejection. But it's also a path of the presence of God. It's a path where God promises to walk with us. It's a path where God shows us his purpose and his peace and his direction. And even though it can be tough... We know it's the place of God's presence. And so following God is not always the easiest path, but we know it's the best path, the path of health and the path of strength and the path of joy and the path of purpose because we know God through his Holy Spirit is walking with us. Following God means changing our plans. Following God means humbly changing our plans. If you look, go down to verse 19, after Herod died, now this was a, a, a Herod died in, in 4 BC. It's believed that Christ was born somewhere around 5 or 6 BC. Herod dies in 4 BC, so they were probably in Egypt. It's, it's estimated they were probably living in Egypt, a foreign land, but living in Egypt for probably a year or so. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared once again. In a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, go, get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Okay, we go back through the Sinai Peninsula, another two and a half week journey, now with a, a wife and a toddler, and we're going back to, to Israel. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in, a place, in place of his father Herod, Herod was an evil king, Archelaus, his son, just as evil, just as bad. And so Joseph has to change his plan. Herod was afraid, he was afraid to go over there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which meant he was, he was heading back to Bethlehem. But he and Mary, being prayerful people, hearing again from the voice of God, they decide, no, we've got to go north. Because Archelaus, by the way, Archelaus only reigned in the south. Archelaus was such an evil king that even Caesar Augustus recognized that that all of Judea, it would be a mess if he gave all of that territory to Archelaus. So he only gave Archelaus the southern part of, of Israel. And so Joseph, again, adjusts his plan and goes back north, back toward his hometown in Nazareth. Now, there was probably more work. There was more opportunity for prosperity. There was more opportunity to be close to the temple, which he probably thought was best for his son. 
all of these things that would have been better for him, earthly speaking, in the southern part of Israel. But no, because God told him to, wisdom said go north. And so, again, humbly, Joseph changes his plans. Folks, have you ever been in that position? You ever been in that place where you have it all figured out? You know exactly where you're headed. You know exactly what you want to accomplish. You've got your five-year plan. You've got your ten-year plan. You've got it all worked out. And then what happens? We talked about this last week. Inevitably, something comes into our life that rocks us to our core. Something comes into our life that immediately changes our course. It might be something that happens to our health or the health of of someone we love. It might be something that happens in our relationships. It might be something that happens in our job. It might be something that happens in the economy. It might be something that happens to to our church or, or, or some personal issue in our lives. But something comes and it rocks us. And we have to change our course. We have to change our plan. Humility says that following God means changing, and I capitalize this, our plan. Did that thing that rocked you and that thing that rocked me, did it change the course of God's plan? Did it catch God by surprise? Absolutely not. Our sovereign God knows what's coming in our lives. And he, if we're listening and if we're obedient and if we're humbly following his best for us, then he's going to help us change our course. And he's going to show us the next step of our path. Hey, how many of you could honestly say, and don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But how many of you right now could say, hey, five years ago, I knew I would be right here right now. Everything's going just according to what I had planned. Nathan Estreth, one of our longtime elders here and a great friend of mine, he used to say, uh, earthly security is like saying my... uh, My sister's an only child. (laughs) Earthly security is like saying my sister's an only child. Your sister can't possibly be an only child. And earthly security doesn't exist. The only place we find genuine security is by following the path of God. And oftentimes that means humbly accepting that path. Well, we've got to keep moving here. I'm going to take you somewhere else here for just a minute. Following God means listening. Following God means listening. I want you to go back to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to take you to a couple places here that are outside our Matthew reading. If you go back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is one of our major prophets. He's the first prophet after, you know, the Psalms and the Proverbs and all those things. You go back to Isaiah chapter 30. And I thought this would be fun to use the same Bible that is here in the pew back so I could go to the pages that that you have in front of you. What I didn't realize is that the Bibles here in front of you are small print. And I'm no longer a small print kind of guy. Uh, So Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21. The reason I share this with you, let's read it, and then I want to give you a little bit of background. Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21. 
It says, although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity. Did you hear that? Although the Lord gives us. There are times when the Lord brings adversity in our lives for his purpose. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God's talking here about a time that is coming in the future. This is an Old Testament passage. And here God is telling, Jer- or ta- telling Isaiah, hey, Isaiah, there's going to be a time coming when you no longer have to use what they use in the Old Testament. They no longer have to use ephods. They had this vest the priest would wear and stones that would light up. And when they needed God's direction, the stones would light up in a certain way and that ephod would tell them what to do. Or they would cast lots. It was a way of throwing sticks on the ground. And those casting of lots would be a way to determine the will of God. And essentially Isaiah is saying, hey, we're going to get past that. We're going to go beyond that to a time where I'm going to be a voice whispering in your ear. Just like a dream came to Joseph. But we no longer need dreams. Why? Because we live in the time of a New Testament era when the Holy Spirit of God lives within us. He dwells within us. At the time of coming to Jesus Christ, remember Jesus goes back to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down and he, and he ascends from heaven. He fills all those disciples and all those followers of Christ. And he promises to do the same for all of us as followers of Christ. Now we have that voice in our ear. That indwelling of the Holy Spirit promised through Isaiah, telling us that this is the way, walk in it. If you were to see, see my Bible, it would be dog-eared to these various passages I'm going to show you today. Why? Because these are the passages that mean so much to me. This is a passage. One of my mentors, a guy named Zeke Swift, uh, treasure our relationship. And this is uh, the passage that Zeke read when I was ordained as a pastor Back in 1998, 21 years ago, Zeke read this passage. And I have clung to it ever since. That voice that whispers in your ear, this is the way, walk in it. Now, how does God do that today? He does that as we study his word. That's a part of this New Testament era that we live in. We've got the complete word of God. Last week, we talked about that stat that only 30% of church-going Christians read the Word during the week. Only 30%. And then we wonder why we're not hearing from God, why we're not seeing the direction of God. We've got to be in His Word. We've got to be in communion, praying and talking with God, and not just talking. Following God means listening. That means we have to listen for the voice and have quiet in our lives and Turn off the radio and the TV and the iP- and, and the podcast and everything that's bombarding us with information and just quietly listening. We've got to be in community with God's people. So God's people are, are speaking back to us the, the words of life that we need to hear. All of these things combining to be that voice that's speaking in our ear. 
I don't think we need dreams today, and I don't think we need fleeces like they used in the Old Testament, and I don't think that we need ephods and and sticks on the ground. No, we have the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us in our ear through His Word in prayer and in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ, helping us know where to go. Business people call this staying in flow. Staying in flow. And if, if business people want to have a, have a good return with their customers, they stay in flow, in constant communication, in constant relationship with those that they're hoping to glean information and business from. Well, as Christians, we have to stay in flow with our Heavenly Father. And that means we're in the Word and we're in prayer. We're having times of quiet and times where we're listening to God, not saying, here's what I need and here's what I want but humbly listening and those times in the community of God's people, allowing other folks to influence what we're saying and doing. Last night, Lisa was out with, with, with a couple of friends, and, and um, I, I'd, I'd been at, kind of by myself all day, and I need people around me from time to time. And I'd just been in my office working, and, and, and the, one of the, the later football games was coming on, and and so I thought, you know, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go somewhere where I can sit in a crowd and and eat some supper and watch a football game. That's just good for me. I just got to be around people every once in a while, uh, even though people drive me crazy. That's still, um, no, I'm kidding. But I I, I I I wanted to get so so I went up here to to Buffalo Wings and Rings, and the place was packed. And the only place I could get a seat was at the bar. So I went over to the bar and I and I ordered my chicken wings and my celery and. And, and got a big iced tea there, and they had four giant screens in front of me, and all these people were packed around me, and, and it was heaven for me because there was football and chicken wings and lots of people, but nobody was talking to me. That's heaven. And so, but these guys, you know, you're at a bar, and it, things are, people are crowding in, and these guys came in, it's like five or six guys, and, and they're all sitting there, kind of crowded around me, and one of the guys was clearly having a bad time. Things were not good in his life. And so, and the beer was flowing, and, and these guys were talking and giving him counsel. And I was, all these other four or five guys were telling him what he ought to do and how he ought to handle this thing. And I couldn't help but listen. And I didn't know any of them, so I didn't have to ask their permission to share this with you this morning. But as they're giving him counsel, I'm just sitting there listening, and I'm thinking, you know what? That is some of the dumbest counsel I've ever heard in my life. This guy is getting nothing but a pool of ignorance right now. And he's got his head down and he's shaking his head. He's like, yeah, man, I ought to, you know, I really ought to do that. And I ought to, I ought to do that. And I'm wanting to scream, no, you shouldn't, because every guy around you is an idiot. Hey, folks, if we want to hear the voice of God, we've got to be in the Word And we've got to be prayerfully talking and listening to our Heavenly Father. And we've got to be in a community of wise people. And if we stay in that flow, we hear God's voice. And there's a fourth thing here, and we've got to finish up with this. Following God means repentance. Following God means repentance. Psalm 32, again, dog-eared passage in my Bible. Psalm 32 says this. If, you, uh, if I've ever signed anything for like the high school kids or whatever, I always write in here Psalm 32, 8. 
kind of my life verse. But Psalm 32, 8 is in a context. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning was all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was, was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. What's David saying? David's saying, I'm a sinful man, and I have messed up. And he confesses that sin to God. And she says in verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely the mighty waters rise. They will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You are my protection. You protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David says, in my repentance and in my confession, you have become my strength. And then God speaks to David. And God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are what? Upright in heart. If we want to know the Psalm 32, 8 kind of direction from God, we have to be repentant of our sin. Do not think... You can harbor sin and bitterness and anger in your heart toward God or someone else and hear God's voice. Nothing hinders or severs our communication with God more significantly than sin that's not been confessed. If we want to know the voice of God, then we've got to know. Then we've got to know repentance. You know, it's time to go to communion. And I want to take us to communion back in in Matthew 16, or Matthew 2, verse 16. There's a very, very difficult passage in the midst of this story in Matthew 2. And it's how Herod responds when he realizes that the Magi have outsmarted him. And and when he wanted to go, and, and he said he was going to go worship the Christ child, he was actually going to go there to kill him. And yet Herod responds in this way in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity and who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. You know, this just breaks your heart, doesn't it? It absolutely just breaks your heart to hear how how Herod responded. And, and you know, we, we read this, and, and, and fortuitously, Bethlehem was a small town. And yet, it, it, while it was probably a handful of little ones who lost their life that day, it makes it no less heinous. And yet the things that Herod did were so evil in so many ways that this is barely a blip on the evil deeds of Herod. And yet what it does is it shows us, the, sadly, it shows us the, the biblical context of Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem is, is mentioned a handful of times in the Old Testament. When we hear the word Bethlehem, we often think of, I keep pointing down here because our nativity scene was there. When we think of Bethlehem, we have this beautiful picture of the, of the star and the angel and the manger and all those sort of romanticized pictures of everything that comes in the birth of Christ. But until that time, that was not the image of Bethlehem. Bethlehem's only mentioned a handful of times in the Old Testament. And one of the first times it's mentioned is back in the book of Genesis. It was where Rachel gave birth to, to, um, to her youngest son, Benjamin. You know, the, the, the 11 sons of Jacob, and they would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Benjamin was the youngest, and, and, and Rachel was loved by by her husband Jacob, and she actually died following that childbirth. And in the midst of her pain and her groaning and what would eventually be her death, she named in Bethlehem, that's where she gave birth to her youngest son, Benjamin. But his name was initially Benani, which means son of my sorrow. Jacob would rename him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, because he so treasured Benjamin. But Bethlehem was a place of sorrow because Bethlehem was a place where Rachel passed and Benjamin was born. And Jacob lost the wife that he loved. Benjamin's also, or excuse me, uh, 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 Bethlehem is also mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, it's what, what uh, Matthew quotes here. When he says, a voice is heard in Ramah, which is near Bethlehem, reaping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Bethlehem was a place where, you remember in the Babylonian captivity, about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Israel's finest young men were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you remember those names? That's where the captivity began. And Bethlehem, there outside of Jerusalem, where, was, where they gathered up all those young men and carried them off to Babylonian captivity. And their mothers, Rachel's here, the personification of all those mothers weeping for their sons being taken into Babylonian prison. Bethlehem was a place of sorrow. So what does God do? Following God means restoration. Look here at Malachi, or excuse me, at Micah chapter five. Micah chapter five. You Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem's reputation has been restored. Because that's the birthplace of the Messiah. A place of death, a place of mourning, a place of weeping becomes a place of glory because that's the birthplace of our King. That's what God wants to do for us. Look here at this last scripture. Isaiah chapter 61, God guiding us to restoration. Isaiah says, God provides for those who grieve in Zion. 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God leading us to restoration. If we're, if we're listening, if we're humbly following, if we're accepting that difficult path, God leading us to a place of joy, taking those most broken places in our lives and healing them, using them, taking them for his best. There's an old adage that says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I've come to believe if it ain't broke, it ain't human. Because we're all broken. And if you're looking around the room saying, yeah, those people are broken. Maybe I'm not, but those people are. You're more broken than the rest of us. We all have our struggles. We all have our pains. But if we're listening and following and humbly letting the Lord lead us, he takes us to places of restoration, places of healing, places where he takes those most painful places in our lives and makes them brand new. Hey, forgive me. I've gone way long this morning. Uh, and I'll be yelled at by my staff because they all have things to do between the two services. But that's okay. I'll get yelled at for all kinds of stuff this morning. You're going to hold the bread and the cup in your hand here for these next few minutes. And as our elders are going to come and they're going to serve you. I want you to, as you hold that bread, as you hold that cup in your hand, just simply ask the Lord a question. Where are you taking me? Where are you taking me? Where do you want to heal me? Where do you want to take my ashes and make them beautiful? Where do you want to make my, take my sorrows and make them new? God, where are you taking me? Lord, thank you for the way.